0: Thanks for listening to this teaching from City of Life Church. Check out www.col.tv for more great teachings, service times, and information on upcoming events. Now, let's join the service already in progress. I'm better at this. I'm better at this. I get myself in trouble over here. No, it's going to be fun. After after the end of that 30 days, I believe God's got—I believe speaking the word, man, and praying uh, just is transformational. I think there's some things that we just think we know. Like, I've heard that before. It really doesn't matter if you heard it before, it's what's in your heart and what you believe that, that is important as you'll see from some of these scriptures I'm about to read. Uh, I'm gonna go ahead and pray, we'll get right into it. Father, I thank you for every person that's here today. Thank you for your presence and your love and the fact that you never give up on us. Thank you for this atmosphere. Uh, man, God, thank you so much for this atmosphere where just the presence of the Holy Spirit, just so ready to move in people's lives. I pray right now, people that are watching online, people that are in this room that are out of answers, out of hope, Lord, that they would find the greatest truth uh, in your word that they could ever find. They would experience, not just know, but experience the power and the love that can only come from knowing Jesus, the hope that can only be found in Jesus. Help me to convey this in a way that honors you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. This this series called the Experience for Us. If you're wondering where it comes from, um, for years at City of Life, we did weekends that were men's weekends and women's weekends where we took some of the most vital, important messages, just really fundamental principles of uh, our faith and kind of packed them in a time where go to a hotel, the guys would, you know, it's kind of a two-day event. And you just kind of inundate, just bombard one another with all these power. And you can barely even hold all this stuff in. Very emotional experience. Well, I guess over the years, um, you know, kind of the, the way we did those weekends changed a little bit. But obviously the power of a lot of those things did not and um we decided to do a series on the experience so last week uh my dad first of all can we give a huge hand from my dad last week absolutely just (laughs) annihilating that uh prodigal message i was my me and my whole family were in tears up here on the front it was totally incredible my dad is such an amazing preacher and i I respect him so much and my beautiful mom too uh, that is here on, on the front row uh he killed that so so uh where do these violent terms come from? You know, when people do good, you say they killed something. It's like, oh, man, they annihilated it. They destroyed it. They murdered it. Okay, well, he did a great job, uh, and I hope I do a great job here today, too. So today I'm going to talk about uh, the meaning of the cross, and I'm not sure what to do because I, I know I have way too many notes. Sometimes I get too eager. i uh, got too much going on, but I'm just going to jump into this message, and I'm going to start it out by saying this. The the scripture in the Bible that says my people suffer for lack of knowledge, I think is true. I think in our modern era, in the postmodern world that we live in, people are drifting further and further away from knowing the truth, and that is a problem. Uh, When you grow up in a society where everything is completely relative and people are making their own rules, I think relativism is dangerous, uh, very dangerous spiritually, even as a society it's very dangerous. But I think one of the issues with Christians is I think they get crusty. Look at someone next to you and say, I hope you ain't a crusty Christian. <laughs> As I think Christ, Christians get crusty. And they ain't nothing worse than a crusty Christian. It, it, if, if you don't know what a crusty Christian is, here, here's what they sound like sometimes. They say, oh, I've heard that before. I've heard this message about 15 times. I could preach this better than he could. Well, I got news for you. It don't matter what you know. It matters what you believe and what you live. Uh, if you want to live, if, if you're here today, you better act alive because I'm going to push you today. Come on, let's give God a praise today before we get started. I hope this ain't the crowd that's going to be mad at me before we even get started. You get mad at this, don't get mad at me. But, but it ain't about what you be- believe. It's not about what you believe. It's about what you know. It's what you know and you believe and you live. Okay, there's things that you say you believe that really are just simply mental ascension. Maybe in your mind you've agreed that you believe this, but you're not believing it it experientially. I want to preach this message today, and if it goes over into next week, then that's fine. But whatever, I've got nine pages of notes. I don't know what to do. I'm just going to tell you that right now. But the idea here today is if you start getting this, and it gets beyond what you simply say you believe, and you experience it, and it gets in your heart, it will transform your life, and you will no longer be a crusty Christian. You know what you need? You need some oil from the Holy Spirit. You need the oil of the Holy Spirit to pour on your life. You need some moisturization. You need to put on your spiritual moisturizer. You got some crusty spiritual skin. It is dead, and you need some life. You need to come to life today. So on this message, the cross, you say, I've heard that before. I don't care if you've heard it before. You need to listen to it for the first time. You need to hear it today for the first time. What do you think of when you see this thing? What, What do you really think of when you see a cross? Do you go, oh. If that's the response, there's a problem. Because the cross for us needs to be the crux. When you hear that word crucial or crux, What it's basically showing is that Jesus Christ, even in language, shows that the cross is the centerpiece of history. It's the most important moment. That's why it's really funny when you talk to people that don't even believe in God. You say, Well, what year is it? They say 2021. 2021 away from what? uh, And then then they get mad because they know where you're going with that. Everything is, even the date is based on Jesus, it's based on his birth. Humanity, history, the universe is based on this thing right here, 33 AD. Wow, what an important moment. I want to go back a little bit though today because I want you to look at this from a different perspective. I think we have heard a lot in our lives about the what's of the cross. I mean, this is probably a poor example. Uh, of, of how brutal this is. I'm not criticizing my team. I actually found this with them. But my, my point is probably thornier. It's hurting me. If I did old school right now, I would pass this around and everyone would go. Ooh. You know, you, you touch the end of the thorn and it would hurt. It, it's brutal, it hurts. I'm not trying to shock you today. You know, I'm not trying to shock you with a nail. I think these are the what's of the cross. These are the things that if you want to teach just the cross message, you do anything you can dramatically to show people the impact of the what. But I just felt today at teaching this that I wanted to get in a little bit of the why, why? And, and maybe some of the hows of, of what this represents and, and, and I even wanted to go back a little bit, like to Genesis chapter 1, verse 15, and maybe frame it a little bit. So that if you have a cross like I do, or you look at a cross, or you hear the word cross, there's such deeper meaning to you than anyone else. Uh, I mean, I, I literally, I'm not even joking. My daughter and I, before she went to college, a couple weeks ago, back to college, we were having breakfast. And I said to a lady who had a cross on her necklace, like I do, it was kind of hanging sideways. I said, hey, I love your cross. I said, twinsies, you know, like I'm just trying to make a joke or something. She's our server. And, um, and she's like, oh, yeah, well, this, you know, that doesn't really mean anything to me, but it's just, it's just something I have. I said, well, it means something to me. I said, it means a lot to me. It's got a lot of value to me. And I, then, then all of a sudden, the conversation I was like, yeah, where did you get that anyway? She was like, oh, well, it, my mother's remains are in here. I was like, whoa, okay, that's kind of a geez. I don't know what that means. You had some mom problems or something. But if it doesn't mean anything to you, spiritually or naturally, well, what does it mean? So I think even that little conversation shows you right there that we can lose the value of something. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. Have you lost the value of the cross huh. in your life? Yeah. If so, let's, let's push in. Let's, let's dig in a little bit and find out what, what it's all about. Genesis chapter 1. It says, now the serpent was more crafty. Hold on. Genesis 3, excuse me, I wrote it wrong. I knew that was wrong. The serpent was more crafty. Okay, so so you got everything's going good. Now you got this serpent that comes along. It doesn't say the serpent is Satan verbatim, but we know as we kind of uh, unpack scripture and learn a lot about the context of what's there, that this is the enemy that is talking to Eve. And he kind of, it says he was more crafty. And that word crafty means that he was prudent. And what is prudent? It's someone that's thoughtful for the future. If you say someone is prudent with money, it means that they're spending money with thoughts about the future. So the way that the enemy deals with you and the way that the enemy deals with Eve here is he's trying to say something that will cause you to stumble in the future. He's trying to ask you conversations and engage you in things that he has already thought out will cause you to fall, and God will not get glory in the future. Is someone alive here today on a Sunday morning? So I think a lot of problems start, first of all, from conversations with a serpent. So I think we gotta be careful in our life. I think, look at someone next to you say, I hope you ain't one of them serpents. I'm just kidding, you're insulting people today. They're crusty, they're serpents, you're scared of them. Tell them, to tell, look at them again, say, I'm, I wanna build you up. Say, you look so good today, I can't believe how great you look in this church. It's amazing. And okay, now we can get back to insulting them. <laughs> I think conversations with, with serpents, that, that's a problem when we open up our ears and our hearts to the wrong kind of input. Because what, what he actually does is he's more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God made. And we have some reason to believe here that this serpent is moving around, maybe even walking around. A different kind of serpent than we can imagine. It really doesn't matter. That is valueless when it comes to the point of what he looks like, to the point of what is actually happening. But what he says has a lot of value. He said to the woman, "Did God actually say?" Isn't that what he does with you all the time? Doesn't he come to you when you're trying to make a holy and a right decision? And he said, "Will God really care if you do this? Will God really care if you eat that entire sleeve of fig newtons, Jeff?" If you don't know what a Fig Newton is, I'm really sorry for you. They're really good. But will will God really care if you step out on your wife because he knows you're lonely? Will God really care if you take that extra money, that extra change that nobody is going to account for? Will God really care if you go to this website that you know has tripped you up time and time again? Isn't Isn't that the logic of the enemy? Did God really say this? And he says to her... Did God actually say you shall not eat from any tree in the garden? So I want to point this out before we give her answer because this fully ties to the cross. And I think this fully sets up the cross. And we're going to get to the cross. But if you don't get this, you may not understand the cross. You may not have a value for the cross. So he asks her a question, not about a subject that she has no information on. And see, that's the issue. The enemy will ask you things, and he will probe things in your life, not that you're unaware of, but that you are aware of, to find out how much you believe what you know. That's what he's after today, is to find out if you really believe what you know. Put your hand on your heart today and say, I know some things. Say, I believe them, though. It's not enough to know them. You've got to believe them today. So he's pushing you. He asks her about something that she knows. He says, did he really say? Don't eat out of any tree in the garden. Remember, conversations with a snake. Some people, you just don't need to engage them. You, you need to say, I, ain't got, I don't have any time for you. I don't have time for this conversation. Excuse me while I go somewhere else. If you're out, you say, well, what do I do if someone comes up and they start talking gossip? Excuse yourself from the conversation. Excuse me. I have to go do something. You know, It don't matter what it is. You ain't got to come up with a good excuse. Just get out. It's like Joseph, when Potiphar's wife came after him, he just ran. Like she had a hold of his clothes, said he ran off naked. He, she pulled his robe off and he just ran. He's just going to get away. It don't matter where you're going. don't matter what your excuse is. Get out of the conversation. Amen? So he gets away from the conversation. He got away from that conversation like she should have got away from the conversation. And it says, the, the woman said to the serpent, she's answered his question, did God actually say, listen what she says. She says, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, quote, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. She quoted it verbatim. Yeah. Verbatim, she knew exactly what God had said. Yeah. Your problem isn't that you don't know. I didn't know. I didn't know. I was just vulnerable. Look at someone nice, you say, you knew. You knew. You knew. That's the problem. Sometimes, can I tell you something? That's the problem sometimes with being a pastor. You don't hear me complain about my job too often because I take it as a calling. But I will tell you this, that sometimes the problem is people want you to tell them what to do. They want, to give you, they want you to give them your opinion on every subject in the world. Well, I'm not going to do that. Why? That's not my job. What's my job? To preach the word. Because when I preach it, you're going to know what it says. And ra- You're going to know what it says. And rather than blaming it on me and say, Pastor Jeff says on this subject, you don't do that. I don't care. My opinion means jack squat. It doesn't mean anything. It's valueless. My opinion is probably no more interesting than yours. If it comes down to opinions, that's where I get boring. But where I get really interesting is when I get fired up about God's word. And when I start believing what this thing says about everything in this world. So look, look how this conversation goes. She, said, she says, we may eat of the fruit of the tree in the garden, but he says she knows it. She me- she's memorized the scripture. You may have so much scripture memorized. You may got little post-it notes on your refrigerator and your mirror. With all these scriptures, none of that matters. Now he goes in and he, he already knows that she knows. And he says, but you won't surely die. Now, now, now that he's done questioning her, he starts questioning God's truthfulness. Yeah. Then he goes, he says, God knows that when you eat it, Your eyes will be open and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. Now he starts questioning God's character. See, that's what he'll do with you too. Is that if he knows that you know, and you put it back and say, well, this is what he actually said, then he'll start questioning God. See, if God loved you, he never would have put you in that situation. If God loved you, he never would have gave you that job. If God really loved you, you'd be as handsome or as good looking or as pretty, as talented as this person, as that person, as that. If God loved you, he would have made you look like this. He would have made you you you'll be in this position. And it's all of this stuff. And now he starts questioning not only God's truthfulness as to whether or not God is faithful to his own word. That's his first approach. His second was to come back and begin to question the character of God. Because he knows if he can get you to question the character of God and whether God is good or not, he's got you. The battle is won. And he says, so it says, when the woman saw. Now, I'm just going to kind of go through this part because this is not the main issue. But she obviously ate of, of, of the tree. And she saw that it was good. She took it. She ate it, gave some to her husband. They both ate it. God knew that they ate. And said, they called out to him and said, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. I was afraid. And he said, who told you you were naked? He said, I was, na- I was naked in the garden. I hid myself. He said, who told you you were naked? So now all this carnal knowledge is there that's not supposed to be there. And we, we play the blame game down in verse 12. He says, who told you you're naked? Have you you eaten of the tree which I command you not to eat? And the man said, the woman. (laughs) Men, if you're truthful, say amen. (laughs) The woman to whom you, everybody wants to blame everybody. The woman to whom you gave, whom you gave to be with me. He's blaming on God double. She gave me the fruit and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is it that you've done? And the woman said, The serpent. Come on, women, say amen, say say, say the serpent, okay. The serpent deceived me and I ate. Okay, now listen, here's the part I really want to get to. But it's important to set it up like that because you got this serpent that is a deceiver and he's a liar, tries to make you question everything. And this is the spirit and the nature of what is opposing us in our life. And not just from the enemy, but there was some stuff innately uh, going on there that the serpent played on because he was prudent and he was wise and he saw a flaw and he saw some potential there. Yeah. I mean, the book of James says, God doesn't tempt anyone, but every man is drawn, is drawn away by his own lust and enticed. And when lust has conceived, it brings forth sin. So sin and lust comes from within us. It's not the enemy, just the enemy. So we see here that the God sees the serpent. He says, because you have done this. By the way, there's... Three different curses that God gives. He curses Eve. He curses man. So he curses woman. He curses man. Then he curses the serpent. And this is what he says to the serpent. He says, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go. So that's why on your belly, you, you kind of have to think if part of the curse is being on your belly and you shall go on your belly. You almost think that he was, like I said, it's not that important whether you think he looks like a, you know, a T-Rex or something. It don't, it don't matter what the image is. The, the point is what it's saying. It says, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, dust shall you eat all the days of your life. Here's the really important part. I will put enmity, resistance, strife between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. Okay, so that means all of humanity is the offspring of Eve. So God is saying that because of this, part of the curse is that every human being will have enmity and hatred and resistance and a fight against the offspring of the serpent. Your offspring and her offspring. It says, he shall, her offspring will bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So this is a prophetic, this is called the proto-evangelium. And proto-evangelium means the first mention of the good news of the gospel in the Bible. It's the first messianic prophecy in the Bible that we find in Genesis chapter 3. The proto-evangelium, the very first time that we see a hint of a Messiah that is coming. It's so early in Scripture. In chapter 3 of Genesis, we already have hope for the problem. Because what God is saying is part of the curse is that all of humanity is going to be messed up. But from this fallen state of the serpent and from this fallen state of of Eve's offspring, you're going to have a conflict eventually where you are going to bruise his heel and he's going to bruise your head. And I've got news for you. A bruise on the heel is a lot lighter than a bruise on the head. And when it comes to a serpent, that's the way you put a serpent out of its misery. You stomp it with its heel, with your heel. All right, so. We've got this idea here that there's an evil depiction of a servant in Genesis chapter 3. Now let's move forward on this message of the meaning of the cross. To numbers Now, look, I know there's people here today. I know this is heavy stuff. I know you're here and you're like, I just wanted like a teaching on peace or something. I get it. Uh, That stuff is is coming, but I I feel like there's just so much here that if we can get to this, we'll get the Prince of Peace. If we can get to this, we'll get joy. We'll get hope. We'll get all the things that we need if we can get to this. But Numbers 21 says, all right, so we got the children of Israel. Now, if you don't know what it's like, Leading around a million people. Neither do I, but I can imagine uh, how frustrating it is. Because I mean, it, sometimes it's frustrating leading just kids. You know, if I got three kids, it's hard. When people are complaining, I got to go to the bathroom. How long have we been driving? Pull over. There's a Chick-fil-A. Then I want to go shopping. I, I mean, you know what I'm saying? It's like everything you start hearing. People. Can you imagine that times a million? Yeah. This is what Moses is dealing with. And, and, and now you got people that God is providing supernatural food for them. They have been freed from the slavery of Egypt. He's sending them to the promised land. They're, they're in the desert. They're frustrated. I get it. But they've become complainers. Yeah. They have become whiners and complainers. I don't like this food. I want some real bread. It's hot out here. I don't like sleeping without a fan on and the AC at the same time. Which might be from the devil, by the way. (laughs) Just kidding, baby. (laughs) (laughs) You can add personal things every once in a while. It says they set out from Mount Hor by the way of The Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. The people became impatient because of the journey. They set out from Mount Hor by the way. What's happening is people don't like the way God is treating them. They don't like the way their life looks. They don't like the way it feels not to have everything you want right now. You say you're not frustrated with God. I'm just frustrated with the way I feel. And this is the problem. When you start getting frustrated with the way, you start criticizing the one that made the way. And that's exactly what happens with the children of Israel. They start getting mad about the way. And you say, well, what does that look like in my life? Well, why did you give me this husband? That's not even a long question. That resonated with some people. I like that. I wonder what's going on online. If online they're like, oh, he's saying it now. Oh, I was waiting for that one right there. (laughs) Praise the Lord. (laughs) Why'd you put me in this city? I hate Florida. Don't you you love when people just generalize every problem in their life? It's It's a state. That's the problem. It's the state. The whole state. You start criticizing the way. You 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 don't even think about it for a second. Or how about how about people who criticize their kids? I hate my kids. Oh yeah, I hear. It. I hear people. Oh, does anyone want my kids? You can adopt them if you want them. Up for adoption? I'll give them up to you right now. They leave their socks all over the floor. They leave their socks in the floor. That's why you're frustrated. You, you, you ain't stopping to give no praise for the fact that they're healthy. God's given them life, that they're smart, they're talented. They do 99% of what you say, but yet you, you're frustrated because of the socks. It's the same thing about complaining about the way when God just took you out of Egypt. We find things to complain about. And here they are complaining about the way. He says, why have you brought us from, the, from Egypt to die in the wilderness? Here, it shows you how confused and, and complainers don't even ever have their story straight. They say, there's no food and water. That's a lie. They were alive. You can't live without w- food and water. No food and water. Then they contradict themselves. And we're disgusted with this food. <laughs> don't, isn't that what it says right there? It says, ain't no food and water. We're mad at you. And we don't like the food and water. Well, which one is it? They're mad. They call it miserable food. But I got, I got news for you. Be careful that the one you're disrespecting might be the one that God uses to heal you. Yeah, so good. Might be the only one that God calls to heal you. They're disrespecting Moses too. You say, well, what, what do you mean by that? How about the story of Miriam and Aaron? Moses marries a black woman that is from Ethiopia. And, that's, and they get frustrated, literally, in a, a racist kind of way. Get frustrated with Moses because he's chosen to marry someone that is outside of the, of the Jewish faith. And they start criticizing him, her, Miriam and Aaron. And so what does God do? God calls them out, and he puts leprosy on Miriam. So she, apparently, she thought that the color of her skin, the lightness of her skin made her superior to someone else who had dark skin. And God said, oh, you want light skin? Well, let me make, make it a lot whiter for you then. I'll give you something called leprosy. It's going to take everything away. Yeah. So he wasn't criticizing. God didn't, wasn't judging Moses. He wasn't judging Moses' wife. He was judging Miriam. Yeah. And so Miriam and Aaron had to come back to the very person that they criticized Moses and say, please ask God to take this away. Yes. Right. Are you here today? Yeah. Yeah. So... Be careful, because that's what's happened with the Israelites. They're criticizing the man that God has called to lead. They're criticizing the God that has provided with them, the God that has provided for them in every way. And so listen what God does. You say, well, uh, this is why it's funny. You know, a lot of people are like, Jesus is a nice guy. He's a really nice, nice guy. And I think it's, you know, nice is not even really a, a, a spiritual quality that the Bible mentions. Good is, but nice is not. So if you're thinking God is nice, you might not understand what nice. I think we could redefine our word nice, what nice means, if, if, if that's your problem. But verse 6 here says, Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, so that many people of Israel died. A huge portion of these people that were complaining, God's like, hmm, let me see, what, how am I going to deal with this problem for ungratefulness? I like fiery serpents. What do you guys think? Yeah, let's go. Okay, let's, let's go for it. It's like Jesus is like, yeah, Holy Spirit's like, send them. And it's like, like, he sends these fiery serpents. They just start biting people. Tons of people from Israel die. So the people came to Moses <laughs> and said, we have sinned. And I'm going to tell you something right now. I would go too, to Moses if, 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 I'm, if I'm complaining about, oh, this, there ain't no food. There ain't no water. And I'm in my bed and I feel something slithering up there. I'll run to Moses immediately. That's the time to apologize right there. <laughs> They go to Moses. We have sinned because we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Intercede with the Lord. See, it's funny. The very person they were complaining against is the only one that can help them in this situation. The very God that they were complaining against is the only one that can, that can intervene in the situation. Intercede with the Lord that he will remove the serpents from us. And Moses interceded for the people. You ever notice how... I'll skip that. I, 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 that could get retweeted in the wrong way. Verse 8. The Lord said to Moses, make a fiery serpent. Sorry about the uh, out loud dialogue from my head there. And put, The Lord said to Moses, make a fiery serpent. And Okay, here we go. This is where it starts getting really interesting. Who talked to Eve? Who talked to Eve in the garden? Okay, so listen. Are, are you seeing this? The Lord sent fiery serpents. So a serpent talked to Eve. Now God in this chapter is sending a fiery serpent. And it says he sent fiery serpents among the people. They bit the people, so many of them died. And God told Moses, make a fiery serpent. So actually a bronze serpent and put it on a flagpole. Make a serpent and lift it up. Put it on a flagpole, and it shall come about that everyone who is bitten and looks at it will live. You say, what, is this Harry Potter? What is this? Why is this happening? Like, what, what, I, make a, this sounds like magic or something. It does kind of sound like that. R.C. Sproul, who who I I love so much, he told me one time that he, he he didn't tell me in my head, he told me because I was reading his book. But in his book, he was saying that he was uh, preaching about the cross and someone said, that's primitive. That's barbaric. And he said, yeah, it is. And it's also God. So it's it's barbaric, it's primitive. But God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, no matter how much it offends our modern senses. We have to say, this is God. He's holy. He chose to do it like this. And for whatever reason, he wanted Moses to make a fiery serpent, to put it on a flagpole and to lift it up so that everyone who was afflicted with a bite had to look upon the thing that was afflicting them. They had to look on the image of what was afflicting them being lifted up in order to be healed. And he said, everyone who who is bitten looks at it will live. And Moses made a bronze serpent, put it on the flagpole. It came about that if the serpent bit someone and he looked upon the bronze serpent, he lived. Okay, we're putting two pieces together now to get toward this cross. We're putting together the idea that this serpent, which is representative of sin and, and a fallen nature of humanity and brokenness this this b- prophecy that is in Genesis chapter 3 that that points toward a messiah that is spoken to this serpent is connected now to something else that we find a story that we find in Numbers chapter 21 that is about complaining and not being happy with what God has given you. And God then punishes them with this evil, these evil fiery serpents. And God says the solution for the evil is to make something that looks like the evil, that is an image of the evil, and to lift it up. And when they look at that thing that everyone has called evil, by looking on it, they're going to be healed. Let's go to the next part, part three. This is definitely going to be a two-part series. I can't get to all this. I'm on page two right now. John chapter three says, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know you're a teacher from, come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. This is an earnest sort of enemy of Jesus that the Pharisees are enemies, but this guy secretly is, admires Jesus and wants to know about Jesus. Nicodemus so really he comes to him secretly. And... He says, you know, we know that you're a teacher from God. No one can do these signs unless, unless God is with him. And Jesus said, truly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus is so clueless. He has no idea what Jesus is talking about. He says, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born yeah, I mean, he's being very literal right there. Uh, and Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and spirit, he can't enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is born of the flesh, born of the spirit, is born of the spirit. He goes on down to verse 13. Jesus does, he says, no one has ascended into heaven except he who is descended from heaven, the son of man, referring to himself. And listen what he says. What's, the, what's one of the most famous scriptures in the whole Bible? John what, help me. John three. Everybody knows John three sixteen. You're actually not allowed in heaven unless you know John three sixteen. There's there's, there's, there's got to be an angel at the gate. It's like okay next. What's John three sixteen for God's all the way. Okay, just let him in. He knows it. Where's the next one. Come on, come on. Oh, hell. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. You don't have to memorize that to get in heaven. I'm just saying we we know that we know. But sometimes we don't know the context. Verse thirteen or verse fourteen. He says this. He says and as Moses lifted. Write two verses before the most famous scripture in the entire Bible. In the entire Bible to a man who is genuinely asking, how do I get saved? He refer- Jesus refers back to this story in Numbers 21. And he says... As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, Jesus is the one making the analogy. He's saying as he lifted up that serpent, that symbol of evil to everyone else who was struggling with being bitten by serpents. So he had to lift up the image of the thing that was afflicting them. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him, whoever believes in him, may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but they will have everlasting life. Come on. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world through him might be saved. When they lift me up on that pole and I am lifted up, I'm going to save everyone that puts their faith in me. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying this representation of evil, this serpent, That Moses lifted up, I'm going to have to be lifted up in the same way. He's telling this to a man who genuinely wants to know the truth. And this is what he's referring back to. He had to become the thing that we could not defeat. Galatians three thirteen says, "Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse, yeah. by becoming a curse. The perfect Son of God had to become." the thing that we couldn't defeat that's the purpose of it it says for it's written cursed is everyone who hung on a tree when i think about someone i know that could potentially get in trouble for something they didn't do it breaks my heart and jesus got in trouble for something he didn't do but he did it willingly 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin, not to be like sin. It means Jesus literally had to become sin, the embodiment of sin up on that cross. He had to become the thing that we could not defeat. That serpent from that prophecy. In John 12, Jesus answered them and he said, the hour has come for the son of man to be glorified. He said, truly I say unto you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. What he's saying is, This is my mission. This is what I came for. And when I go in the ground, what it's going to release, a bag of seed doesn't do you any good sitting on your counter. It's only when you bury it that the potential is released inside that seed. He says, whoever loves his life, loses it. Whoever hates life in this world will keep it for eternal life. He says, anyone that serves me must follow me. And he says, now my soul is troubled. Because he knows he's about to die. He's about to become sin. And I got news for you. That's why he was bleeding, sweating blood in the garden. He knew the weight of what he was going to have to become in order to defeat the thing that we could not defeat. And he says, but what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. He's like, what am I going to do? Ask him to take me out of the very reason I came. He said, but for this purpose, I have come to this hour. I'm here for this reason. And he says, Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven and says, I have glorified it. Oh, and I'll glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. Jesus said, this voice has come for your sake, not for mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. Listen, and here's, here's the way I'm going to close this today. Verse 32. He said, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. Verse 33 says, he said this to show by what kind of death he was gonna die. He was saying, all of this is the reason I came. I came for this moment. I came to become sin. I came so that that little voice that speaks in your, that questions everything, it has no power over you any longer. That thing that questions God, that thing that questions the whys of your life, why am I here, what am I doing? That thing that causes you to want to step out and disobey and do something that you know in your heart is not right. Jesus said, I'm going to crush the serpent's head, so I'm going to become it. And I can handle it because nobody is going to take my life from me. 10 says no one takes it from me but i lay it down on my own (laughs) accord he said i have the power to lay it down and i got the power to take it up again see what he was showing the enemy is you thought this battle was going to be played out in a way you understand but you had no idea that i was going to become sin and you had no idea that when i was buried that even hell couldn't keep me locked down because I was too perfect. I was too pure. I'm the son of God. I'm the lamb that was slain from the foundations of the earth. I took that sin on with me and it stayed buried forever. But when I resurrected, I resurrected to new life. And now it's no longer a fiery serpent we lift up. It's a cross. Jesus was lifted up on that cross. And I like... uh, I like something that I heard my grandma say when I was little. She said, Jeffrey, don't you ever wear no cross with Jesus on it. She said, We don't do that. He came off that cross and he's no longer on the cross. He's glorified anymore. So I hope you see that Jesus becoming sin, becoming what some theologians call the most vile creature that the earth has ever known. That even God Himself, when He said, the Father Himself, when Jesus said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He became every gross sin. He didn't commit those sins, but he took sin upon himself so much so that even his own father, when he said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Every sin you've ever committed, he became it on that cross. Next week, I'm going to get to every single point of the cross, what that looked like. More the what of the cross. I think today we talked about the how of the cross. The how is that he had to be lifted up. I think we also talked about the why, for God so loved the world. I think the why is that he loved us. But next week we'll talk about some of the what's and I hope that you'll join me on that journey. But for today, I want to tell you, he loves you so much no matter who you are, no matter what you've been through, no matter what you're going through, if you're watching online. It doesn't matter what you did last night, what you did last year. It doesn't matter where you're from. doesn't matter what you struggle with. What do you mean it doesn't matter? I mean, the Bible says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That means everything that he said, he came to this world to do. He did it knowing full well every problem that you would carry with you, every struggle that I would have, and he loved me enough to do it anyways for me. There's power in looking on Jesus, just as it said in Numbers, that whoever looks on him and believes, will you look on Jesus today? Will you look on Jesus, the one that became sin for you, that became a curse for you? Will you put your eyes on Jesus today? And as you look on Jesus, As you look on Jesus, will you look at that cross for a minute? As you look on Jesus, will you believe? Will you believe it is him that became sin for you? Come on, let's look at that cross for just a moment. Will you look on Jesus today? Will you say, I believe? I believe. If that's you here today and you're looking on that cross and you say, I believe, would you just stand right now? say, I believe. If that's you, you say, I believe. Would you just stand today? Anyone in this room? Amen. This concludes the teaching. If you'd like to support what God is doing here at City of Life, click on the Give button at www.col.tv. Or text a dollar amount to the number 855-997-6900. We hope you'll join us again.